it's optimize, automate, outsource. So I really teach people to optimize first, meaning identifying what the problem is, what the process looks like, where the resources are and where they're going. Second part is to automate. So looking at what we can set up, triggers and actions that will just get things done in the background and will reduce errors, will be inherently scalable. And then at the end of that, once we've gone through those two methods, uh, those two frameworks rather, we outsource what we can to specialists or generalists. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. Today, we have on Ari Mizell, and Ari is the author of Less Doing, More Living. He's a TEDx speaker. He's contributed a lot of articles. But he, what he really is is helpful in bringing to light how people can optimize their lives. He's got a lot of great suggestions in here. He's also got some uh, in-person workshops coming up. He'll get to that. Um, but this one uh, was a podcast that I, on several you know, times, were like, wow, I need to really start doing that. And I kind of consider myself a fairly productive person. Uh, but Ari really brings it home on what I could do better. So for these reasons, I know you're going to love this episode. As always, uh, I get recommendations, and Ari was one of those recommendations somebody put on Facebook that I should reach out to him. I did, and that's how we bring you today's episode. Also, it's how we grow. So you can go to facebook.com slash start it up. That is wonderful. And if you have some suggestions for us too, man, do we love that. But again, uh, leaving feedback for us on iTunes or a review is like gold to us. It is how we grow from the bottom of my heart. I sincerely appreciate that. All right, enough of me gabbing. Without further ado, Ari Mizell. All right, now I'm joined uh, by entrepreneur and author of Less Doing, More Living. Oh, Ari, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, so you're leading uh, kind of a, a new revolution of people that want to start um, finding their own passion and kind of clearing up uh, their time and freedom. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you kind of arrived at this. Sure. So I was working in construction about, I guess, 15 years ago, doing a big development project in upstate New York. And I got sick um, after about three years of working really, really hard. And more than that, just living a very, very unhealthy lifestyle. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and went from working these very long, hard charging days to, uh, if I was lucky, being able to get maybe an hour of work done in a day. And my response to that after coming through a long journey of self-tracking, self-experimentation, I was able to get off my meds and overcome the illness, but I was able to figure out a new system and a new way of getting things done uh, so that I could get more done in that limited time. And that's where my system of productivity was born out of. So less doing, more living was my way of optimizing, automating, outsourcing everything in my life in order to be more effective. And since then, I've been teaching, speaking, coaching, and consulting all around the world. Yeah, it looks like you have a, an event coming up this June, um, but you already just did one. Uh, tell us about what you do at your events. Yeah, so we just came back from Less Doing Miami, which was so awesome. Uh, basically, we brought together 40 people for three days, and the first day was learning. The second day was more intense learning with four really big-name speakers. And then the third day was all about implementation. So they actually got to walk away from the event having set up or built the things that they learned how to do. So uh, essentially what we're doing is helping entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their, op their infrastructure will support to set up systems and processes to empower a team to make themselves more replaceable. 
Yeah, I know you've been up on the on the VA stuff. Um, I guess I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but for those people that have heard some horror stories about VAs, um, walk us through why more people should look into virtual assistants. So most people, and I can say that confidently, most people who've had a bad experience at outsourcing something, it's their fault. Uh, and usually that's because they haven't really identified what the problem is first. They just give it to somebody else. And if you think about it, you know, logistically, you take an inefficient problem and you put it in somebody else's lap who has even less con context for it than you do, it's asking for failure. So that's why my whole method is to tell people, to teach people how to optimize first, then automate second. And then if there's anything left over, that's when we give it to a person because then they feel empowered. They can really add value to it. And of course, that all assumes that you're working with a competent provider, but that's more and more easy to find these days. So you can't possibly get it all done yourself. And the, yeah. the question of, you know, it, it's really easy to ask somebody, like, if you could only work an hour less a day, what would that do? You know, so if I said to somebody, you work a nine to five job, what if you had to leave the office by four? It's pretty simple to be like, oh, well, I guess I wouldn't take that last meeting or I would do one less phone call or something. But if you tell someone, what if you only had an hour a day period total to work? What would that do? That's a totally different way of thinking. And you have to give up a lot to make that happen. And now not give up, meaning like sacrifice it, but you can't do it yourself. So in a lot of ways, restrictions are really helpful for us in terms of forcing innovation to be more productive. No, I can't agree more. I've, I've got an unusual class called Innovation and Open Source Learning, um, where the students do what they feel compelled to do. The hardest part is to get them to identify what they feel compelled to do. I mean, I think this is the biggest thing we fight in in education is that, you know, for years you tell students to sit down and wait for instruction and the rest of the world doesn't work that way. Um, so a lot of our adults then are in some ways, and I know that this will resonate with you, you know, they're like, well, that's kind of what I heard in your answer to the, you know, VAs, like, okay, uh, I'll let somebody else worry about it. Uh, and, and you'll ship it off to them, or I'm waiting for the next opportunity. When? Well, I'm waiting to be inspired. Um, <laughs> so this was a really, this was a really long way of, of me asking, um, your clients that, that want to find a newfound freedom, is that because A, they've either found that thing and they're working towards it, or are they B, wanting to be inspired so they do that thing? So you're asking about the freedom paradox without even realizing it. Have you heard of it, the, the liberty paradox? I have. Okay, fine. So for those who haven't, the liberty paradox basically states that there's positive and negative freedom. There's freedom from something. So that's like freedom from the nine to five, freedom from the grind, whatever you want to say. And then there's freedom to something, to do something. So ideally, we want to be in that place where we have freedom to do something. The problem with what you're asking about or what you're describing rather is that the human brain does very poorly in a situation where it has too much freedom. If you think about it, like w the, we need things to do, like we need, you know, uh, clear boundaries. We need things like to know what we're doing. Uh, even procrastinators or even like wonderful creatives, like we still need some sort of bounds within which to work. And a lot of entrepreneurs are looking for freedom so much that they end up creating a vacuum that they can't really fill. So to me, again, innovation comes from having those restrictions. So rather than just saying, like, let's wait for this to happen or let's, you know, play in this infinite playground that we haven't put any boundaries around, start putting restrictions on things that you do and that you think about and see what that would do. So if you say, like, really basic one, if you add, just to get you in the mindset, if you uh, know that the average American spends about $173 a week on food. 
if you were to say, and, and you know, maybe that's you, maybe it's not, but if you say to yourself, well, I'm only allowed to spend a hundred dollars a week on food. What does that mean? I have to change. What do I have to do differently? Does that mean I have to cook? Does that mean I have to skip a meal? Like hopefully not, but what does that actually mean? So we don't get great ideas. A lot of times as entrepreneurs, I find from just infinite freedom, we need some sort of problem to solve. No, I totally agree. As a matter of fact, I, that's some of the best things that we've done in the class is that I limited them to a certain subset, uh, because there is that freedom paradox in here where, um, you know, a lot of students sign up for this class because they're like, Oh, finally a, a class where I get to do what I want to do. Okay. What do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. And then so and I like, okay, you know, to get you back into that mindset, um, you have to, you know, create a business using this, or um, it's kind of like that, that, um, uh, you know, constraints lead to creativity thing, like, okay, invent a business that has to involve or create a product that has to involve blank. And then shockingly, they can come up with a 1000 different things if they're you know, painting within that box. And, and I, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, sorry, you know, but, not to interrupt, but a good example of that is you give a, a kid uh, a cup and tell me, you know, tell me 10 different, 10 things that you could do with this cup that aren't cups, like that's not using it to drink from. <laughs> uh, and that's, it's like, you, you'd be amazed at what some people come up with. Either it's like, it's a pocket for something or you can make an instrument out of it, but like something that you can take something that has one use in general and figure out a whole bunch of other ways to use it, but just that thing. Yeah, we love doing that. And then also we'll combine another thing. Like uh, there's this game called Disruptus, and it's the simplest game. And basically it's a lot of just common things that you'll find around, you know, the house or whatever. And so let's just say that you drew a card that said cup and then you draw another card that says or that has like a, a, a keyboard on it or a computer. And you're like, okay, combine those two. And it can be what the cup represents or what the cup is, or it could, you know, it could stand for, you know, the guys in the street that are doing the the hidden ball thing. And then you're like, okay, I want to start a website where it's the hidden ball and cup. And like just using those constraints, just the ideas start popping. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I love all that stuff. So uh, you've um, kind of now started to see patterns, though, I'm sure that, you know, some people on their VAs are like, here, take care of my problem. Um, are you, how should I say this nicely? Like, are, do you find some people that will come to you? Like, I want to be free and they don't have any clue, but they just know that they want to be free because they don't like what they do. Oh yeah. All the time. Absolutely. And, uh, and the, again, the thing is, is it's almost like, be careful what you wish for, you know, <laughs> because you may end up in a situation that you don't really know how to handle, uh, or how to, how to operate within. As I said, there's the idea of too much freedom is just, it's not a good thing for some, for most people, really for most people. Um, so the other thing about that is that I find, and this goes, this, this informs a lot of the problems that come up. So everything from somebody having a bad outsourcing experience, to having a bad team experience, people tend to focus on solutions rather than problems. And I know that sounds weird, but a lot of times people will come to me with a solution in mind and they don't actually know what the problem is. So a great example is, People will ask, I I get at least, at least once a week, somebody asks me, what's the best CRM? And I think most people are saying, like, well, if you're doing this, it's this one. If you're doing sales, this one, my response is always, why do you need a CRM? 
And people will not really have a good answer usually. Sometimes they'll be like, well, my colleague has this, or like, I just saw this one at a conference, or everyone in my industry is using this, and they say it's great. It's like, well, what are you actually trying to accomplish? What is the real problem? And a lot of times with a CRM, people's problem is follow-up. They want to make sure that they're following up with people effectively. So then it's, it becomes a question of, well, you don't need a CRM to do follow-up. You can do that with one simple tool in your email and a bit of sort of like mindset shift. So let's talk about the problem first. So a lot of times when people quit a job or leave a situation, they end up going to the exact same kind of situation somewhere else because they haven't really identified what the actual problem is. Um, so a lot of people are coming to you for advice. Uh, who are you going to for advice now? Who who inspires Ari? Yeah, it's it's. I have an answer because, and I haven't. I mean, there were many times in my life when I didn't. It's funny because I've been coaching for years and years and years, and I never really had like a coach per se. Um, so at this point in my life, there are effectively three people that I seek advice from and who give it very effectively. One is Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach. Two is Joe Polish of the Genius Network, and the third one is Talking More of Black Belt Intensive. So those three guys are um, my sort of triad of help and support and have really helped me take things to the next level. Um, for those people who are just now starting to come across what you do, uh, what is you know your, your next level? I mean, you, you're, you kind of gave a, a description of kind of what you do and what your next live event is. Where do you see this heading? I really want to be that go-to source for entrepreneurial effectiveness. And I know that sounds kind of like nebulous, but really what we're doing is helping people sort of break through those obstacles. We're, we're a lot of, a lot of times we're removing some of the friction to what people are going to be doing anyway. And as I said, it's entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure will support. So that means that we really can help people at every level, everything from making $40,000 a year to making a hundred million dollars a year and more. There's something to be done at every point. And I, to, to me, like the systems that we put in place are getting more and more widespread. And one sort of long-term vision of mine is that I would really love for my method, the, the OAO method, to be taught in universities. That would be a huge milestone for me. Describe what that method is, or is that going to take way too long? No, no. that's if it, That would be a problem if uh, I was. it took me too long to explain a, mission, a method of efficiency. Um, so I really teach people to optimize first, meaning identifying what the problem is, what the process looks like, where the resources are, and where they're going. Second part is to automate. So looking at what we can set up, triggers and actions that will just get things done in the background and will reduce errors, will be inherently scalable. And then at the end of that, once we've gone through those two methods, uh, those two frameworks rather, we outsource what we can to specialists or generally an architect or a graphic designer. But once you've gone through the first two steps, that last step becomes much more effective and all three of them have a place in businesses growing. No, yeah, I, I totally agree. And and the thing that scares me is is that uh, I think that more students, especially because I mean I'm still a school teacher, and and I think what you just said encapsulates where things are headed in the next. Well, heck, I saw a, a couple of reports. The probably the most famous one was Forbes that by 2020, it's two years from now, half the jobs will be uh, automated and 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 freelanced. Uh, I'm sorry, I'll repeat that back. By 2020, half the jobs will be freelancer gig economy. So are you looking to solve problems? Are you out there looking for yourself? Are you out there looking to, you know, seek opportunities? And then if you do, then then your capital is your ideas, because so many things can be automated. Uh, so I think that what you what. I mean, I because it's 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 either the most frightening time to live coming up or the best. Oh, I think it's and, the best. And I, 
Yeah, true, because you have that mindset. And and that's one of the reasons why I want to talk to you. Like it's it's you understand that your moneymaker are your thoughts, are your ideas. And and you know, 10 years ago that was fluffy talk. You're like, oh, like, you know, that's not good. Hard work is everything. You in person is everything. And now it truly is your thoughts because something that can be automated will be automated. So what's left is creativity, innovation, and and getting taking ideas into action. And that's exactly what you're talking about. So I, I can't say amen enough. My problem is, um, and I want you to weigh in on this, my problem is getting more... I hate to make a villain out of this, and I'm I'm trying not to, but I was going to say universities and parents. Um, what are the what are the what do the cool kids say now? Woke. Yeah. I want I want them to get woke to this I, because, like, I, I, there's still this myth that, um, and I, boy, do I still take emails and they say, "Quit saying this, Don." But like, not every kid should have to go to college. There's some things that it's great for, and there's other things that it's not. So, uh, trying to get more parents. To hey, it, maybe your maybe your child needs to uh, actively seek something other than academia. Well, that's kind of a scary proposition to a lot of people. And of course, universities—it's in their best interest to promote universities and only universities. Uh, I think that that's a that's a failed system. That looking into where—and I'll have you weigh on this—like having looking into where the future is going. Uh, it's kind of a scary proposition. Your feelings on that? Yeah. So I. I did not want to go to college and I, I wanted to actually join the Navy and be a Naval aviator, which I mean, in retrospect, I'm actually glad that that didn't happen, but I, I ended up applying to one school and I got in at the university of Pennsylvania and at the risk, I mean, I ended up, I went to the best business school in the world. I got a degree in real estate and entrepreneurship. I minored in art history and psychology and I got out of school and I went into construction. And I don't mean real estate development. I actually was in construction. I did three years of learning every trade imaginable. 99.9% .9 of my peers went into uh, finance and I was building stuff. And I'm not saying that in the way that like, oh, I'm better. Quite the opposite. Like my degree did not inform what I ended up doing. The experience of being at college for three years was invaluable uh, socially and emotionally and growth wise. But I think there's a lot of other places to get that. And the three years that I spent, you know, getting up at 430 in the morning and working alongside tradesmen for three years is probably the most formative work I've ever done. Um, let's Using your theory uh, of of um, you know optimize uh, optimize and automate, uh, let's envision uh, your version of the new age of college or university. If you're going into some sort of technical trade or something like law, obviously medicine, you need or engineering, you need to go to some of these advanced sort of degrees. But if you're talking about the kind of learning that will create a full life and a fulfilled life and not have you uh, in debt when you get out of school and not have you set on a path that you choose when you're 18 for the rest of your life, I, I think that it, it, it's a failed system. And it's not even a failed system. It's just that the we shouldn't be conditioned that that's where we have to go. I think that, and I have four small children, so I want them to have the opportunity. And in my mind's eye, I feel like I, I want them to go to college if they want to, but there's so many experiences that could be had. And the truth is, and I know that this is like, this is going to people be in, well, I don't know what they'll be, whatever. Things move so fast now 
that four years in college, you might miss some really big opportunities that you could have taken advantage of. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to miss them forever and there won't be other ones. But I, I started a company in 24 hours that we grew to a million dollars in revenue in the first year. You know, so four years is a long time. So, and not, not to mention, I, there's things that I want to learn about now that I had no appreciation for when I was that age. There's this podcast, for example, called Hardcore History by Dan Carlin, which is my favorite podcast. He does five-hour episodes every couple months on really cool things in like ancient history. And I've learned more from that than I have from any of the history things that I ever learned. So it, you, it's hard to force the want on somebody at that age. problem is that I see the want is the, is the issue. Like so many of our students have been conditioned, like I'll figure out what I want to do in life. When I get to college, I'll declare a major. I might change my, and by the way, most do change majors a couple of times, which by the way is now costing them thousands of dollars. So my issue is always like, okay, why not discover, like, let's at least eliminate some things. That's one of the things I love about my class. Like let's at least eliminate some things that you thought you were going to go in, start trying those things because changing your major would have been a really expensive proposition. So let's start doing more and talking less. And that's though the the, the big issue is, you know, well, every, you know, you, you should just go and then figure it out. Well, that worked. I, I had a, a guest on who talked about just in case learning and just in time learning. You know, I, I got an, a degree in 1995, just in case, you know, my degree, I ended up getting a job and kind of, um, but now that's a harder and harder proposition. So I think what you're talking about is, is that, you know, why not discover things, you know, you, you could, well, and actually I'm going to ask, you know, could you uh, hack your education, so to speak? You, you, you know, your big things you talked about on automate and optimize. Um, let's just say that you wanted to appease both sides. Let's just say that you don't want to um, offend or let down mom and dad. And yet at the same time, you want to pursue other things. How would Ari handle yeah, that? Yeah, so there's there's one of the biggest uh, – two, th two things. One is that I think that the, that the undergraduate college degree should be three years, first of all. Uh, I think four years is just too long, and I think it, it's that, that issue of too much freedom. I think it, it's too much space to sort of play in. And, you know, if you if you look at like freshman year as like fun party time and senior year is also kind of fun party time, there's those two years in the middle that are really the work in a lot of ways. So I think that the four years and I and I graduated a year early, by the way, with, as I said, two majors and two minors. So it's not about not being able to fit it in. So that's one thing. But on the other side of that, I don't think that people should go to college right after high school. I think that the, the, the European concept of a gap year. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I had a lot of friends at, when I was in college who were Israeli and had gone to the army first, and then they got to college and they're 21. You know, like it's a very different experience in that way. So I think there needs to be that opportunity and that expectation that you'll go out and travel or work. Um, it doesn't even matter. Just something that's not school so that you can have that break and then really know what you want to do. No, I can't agree with that enough. I, I, I think that sometimes we are too young to, like you said, at age 18, figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life is, is silly. Um, in, in many cases, not in all cases, uh, but I, I totally agree with that. Um, okay. Now talk to though, the age 45 year old of I'm done. Uh, I can't do this every day, day in and day out. Um, it's tough right now to reinvent yourself or 
there's never been an easier time, depending on your mindset, obviously. Uh, walk me through that 45-year-old male or female who's just can't do it. What is step one to reinventing themselves and then start to apply more of the methods you um, talk about? Yeah, I'm sorry, but there's never been an easier time, in my opinion. If you're willing to work and commit yourself, good things come to those who commit. I have somebody on my team who was, she's a mother of two. She hasn't been in the workforce in a long time. And she's also the least tech a bit able person on the team. And she's now mastered like 24 different platforms uh, of her own volition. She's our copywriter. She is our voice for the, the stuff that we do. And she has completely reinvented herself and because the opportunity was presented to her to take it. Uh, good things come to those commit, as I said. So there's never been more opportunity uh, for a way to sort of share your knowledge. And quite honestly, I mean, the research will show that millennials are the hardest working generation yet, which I have experienced that and seen that. But the truth is also that the people in their 40s and 50s have a different work ethic than people of my generation. I'm 35. And that's something to be cherished and used. Uh, the idea of showing up on time is like unusual now, which sucks, but that's the case. So you can you can be a better team player. You can be a better source of knowledge and you can get things done when you say you're going to get them done. And I know that sounds simple, but that's something that actually is really valuable now. Once again, I can't agree enough. I mean, the, the people that, um, well, actually we had a guest once, um, actually you, you may have met him at one of Joe's events, uh, but JT McCormick uh, of course. Uh, came in. Yeah, JT came in to uh, be with my class and just a super nice guy flew out here on his own volition. And he he gave the story of um, if you took away everything and you put me in McDonald's, I'd be a regional manager in nine months. And here's how. And he just laid it out. And uh, all it really boiled down to was your genuine desire to learn more and to put yourself out there. He's like, you know, first of all, if you just showed up and you are the fry cook, you demonstrate to your, he's like, first of all, if you just, if you're there for more than a month, you're like, you're among the most highest tenured employees in some places. And he says, you know, if you just kept asking, I'd like to take on more responsibility. I'd like to learn more. He says, you're just going to keep climbing and climbing. So just the right mindset, just the right attitude. Um, and just setting yourself apart of, I'm not here to do the minimum amount. Um, I'm here to, to, to to dominate. Um, or it was that uh, Seth Godin, the, the, that linchpin mentality that I don't have to be an entrepreneur right now. I can be an entrepreneur. I can learn how to make things better around me is just everything. Um, yet I hear not everybody again, but I hear way too many people. There's just not enough opportunity out there. You know, wh what politician is going to create more opportunity for me this year? And I'm like, you are, it's you. Um, but I, that's been the hard part of creating that mindset in people, uh, is, is just that. Um, so, so when people reach out to you on the first time, um, they say, Ari, I, I want to, I want to clear my life. I want to, I want to do more things. Um, is your first task saying, okay, what is that thing? Or do most of the people that come to you already have an idea in mind? A lot of them have an idea in mind, but I, I always try to look at what is the problem that we're solving. That's that's typically how I would start with them, uh, because, again, it's like it's the hammer to a nail kind of idea. Right. Some people might know, like, this is what I want to do. And it's like, well, but why? Because I do, because I know it. I've always wanted to do it. and they might be right. 
But again, looking at what is that problem that you're solving, and there's always a problem to solve. No, so yeah, asking them to just to dig deep down is is yeah, that's a good point. Um, a lot of times when I ask why three times, on the third time is usually their driving factor. Like I'll I'll, I'll say somebody like you know they'll say, boy, I, I really want to I really want to start my own business. Why? So I can make more money. Why? So I can spend more time with my family. So what is it you're really looking for? Spending more time with my family. Okay, well, then let's start with that. So I know I totally agree with that. Asking that why three times is, has been a tactic um, in our class for sure. Uh, so, um, man, uh, one, I love what you're doing. And two, if you can get people out of their own way and start thinking for themselves and then start reimagining possibilities, um, good for you. But the, your last thing on there, um, after you optimize, you, you automate uh, Tell more people about what they could practically do for automation. So the easiest thing is go to a platform like IFTTT, which stands for if this, then that, and start looking at the services that it, it connects with. So everything from Twitter to PayPal to MailChimp, things that you probably use every day on multiple fronts. And then click on one and it'll show you what the triggers and actions are. So you say, well, I use MailChimp and then the trigger might be new subscriber. It's like, okay, well, I add subscribers to my MailChimp list. And then, so what do you do when that happens? Well, maybe if they subscribe to a MailChimp list, I want to send a Slack notification to my team that we got a new subscriber. So that's the action. And then you can start to build very simple automations in your business, the kinds of things that take you 30 to 45 seconds to do, but you're doing them dozens or hundreds of times a day. I'm blushing because there's so many things you said. I'm like, okay, I need to do that. So that is awesome. Well, Ari, I sincerely appreciate you being on. I um, love what you're doing. Uh, please point people to where to find you and also this new cool event you got coming up in LA again. Yeah, everything's at lessdoing.com. Uh, you can find me on social. I'm at Ari Mizell pretty much everywhere. And we've got, yeah, Less Doing Live LA. The registration will be up soon. It's going to be June 20th to 22nd. And it's going to be amazing. Very good. Well, Ari, I thank you so much for uh, informing us. And uh, man, I've got some work to do on myself. I, I, in listening to you, I'm sitting here going, man, I thought I had it together, but there's some things that I've got lacking. So I'm going to get right on that. So appreciate you being on the show and for you taking out some time for us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.